live what is up everybody for date on kubernetes live stream number 127 128 we're getting close to 130 very very good to be here for our second live stream this week uh as you know we have our upcoming events in kubecon um dok day all right so i'm just going to drop the link i'm going to drop the link here in the chat so if you haven't signed up already you can do so all right gonna drop the link right there so please 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 make sure that you sign up it's totally free all right it's virtual it's gonna be awesome we're gonna have live music we're gonna have prizes swag quizzes all that kind of good stuff if you are going to be on site in Valencia on the day of the event on May 16th, uh, and you're going to be in the area, please let us know because we will be doing a, an after party with some really, really good live music and we're going to have a good time. The weather will be good. That being said, very excited about today's talk in the promo. I asked, is it secret? Is it safe? I am a Lord of the Rings fan and I appreciate any opportunity I get to, to drop some Lord of the Rings stuff. So we are today with Kim Schlesinger, who is a developer advocate at DigitalOcean. Kim, welcome to the Data on Kubernetes community. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yes, good. First question, you're a cyclist or are you a cyclist? <laughs> I am. That's my mountain bike back there. So nice. I, I live in Denver, Colorado in the USA. And so there are mountains I can go to and, and cycle. And I got into mountain biking and like gravel biking during the pandemic as a way to okay. get outside and be safe. <laughs> oh, the, the gravel biking and being safe. Does, <laughs> those things go I'm, I'm like a very cautious person. So you'll see me hop off my bike a lot or go really slow. <laughs> okay. That's good. So you enjoy, okay. You enjoy with a certain margin of, 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 of caution. That's good. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So anyway, looking forward to, to the talk today, but can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved in the Kubernetes world, et cetera? Yeah. So um, I am currently a developer advocate at DigitalOcean and I work, I think my actual title is cloud native developer advocate. Um, but really what I do is give talks about Kubernetes and show off DigitalOcean's uh, managed Kubernetes offering. Uh, before DigitalOcean, I was a site reliability engineer at this company called Fairwinds. Fairwinds does consulting and they have um, software as a service for like container scanning and security stuff. But I was on the services team. So I got to work with um, companies that hired us to build out Kubernetes clusters, um, build out CI CD pipelines, and then teach their employees how to uh, deploy uh, application changes in their Kubernetes cluster. So that was an interesting job just because um, I think it's kind of unusual for people who work with Kubernetes to get to look look into and work with different uh, Kubernetes clusters and see different setups and see different use cases. So I did that for uh, three years. And before that, I was a teacher. So I taught primary school um, for uh, about six years. And then I switched into adult education. And eventually, I went to a software coding boot camp where I got trained in uh, tech. That's amazing. All right. That's yeah. it. And I think also it's interesting enough that today you're going to be teaching us. So this is something it's not anything new for you. And to see the nice, you know, different transition of skills that can work in all these different areas. Mm -hmm. and, and working in primary school for six years, I did it not for that long, um, but I, I once was a, was a teacher as well. Nice. And I think it's something everyone should do or at least shadow a teacher for a day to understand how difficult it is, the patience that's necessary, the passion and empathy. Yeah, I agree. I think I think everyone should. You don't have to do anything, but you should just sit in the back of a classroom for a day. And, and it's tough. It's a really, really tough job. It's yeah. And everybody out there, if you have the ability to pay your teachers more, do so because they <laughs> need to be that. better paid. They're never <laughs> overpaid. All right. Don't buy into this. Oh, they get three months of summer vacation. That is nonsense. My partner <laughs> is a teacher and it's not the case. Uh, so anyway, support your teachers out there. That being said, I'm going to let you start sharing your screen. You've got a, a repo that I'm going to be sharing here um, Thank you. In, in the chat. So if you want to follow along with that while Kim's explaining. Uh, and of course, folks, if you have any questions, please put them in the YouTube chat. We'll get them answered accordingly. Uh, but that being said, if you want to start uh, sharing your screen, you can go for it. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. And I have to do that thing. You can see my screen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <everyone. laughs> like tally marks on the wall. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> okay, cool. Let's do it. Super. Well, welcome. Uh, this talk is called Getting Started with the Kubernetes Secrets Store CSI Driver. Um, and I'm Kim Schlesinger. I already sort of gave you the introduction uh, about myself. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm really excited to 
uh, be part of the DOK community and to give this talk. Uh, when I came up learning Kubernetes like four years ago, um, the uh, prevailing wisdom at the time was never run any stateful workloads inside your Kubernetes cluster. Um, and the exciting thing is that like Kubernetes and the CNCF and all these different projects have evolved in such a way that it's a lot safer and like it makes more sense to run uh, stateful stuff in your Kubernetes cluster. So I'm learning a lot and I learned a lot by prepping this talk. So thanks for having me. So uh, we're going to do three things today. Uh, so the first thing I'm going to do is just define a couple of key terms that's going to help us understand what we're doing. Uh, then I'm going to do a demo showing you how to use the Kubernetes secret store CSI driver with HashiCorp Vault. And then at the end, I'll leave some time for question and answers. Um, and uh, if you don't already know, you're welcome to drop questions in the chat and Bart will um, ask those to me uh, when it's a good time. Absolutely. So let's, let's hop in and talk about uh, the key terms, like the, the vocabulary that you need to understand in order to follow along with this talk. So the big key term that uh, I want you to walk away with knowing today is ephemeral volumes. And so in Kubernetes, we know about persistent volumes and persistent value claims. And in Kubernetes 119, we get this new thing called ephemeral volumes. And so these volumes are, are not persistent um, and they have the same life cycle as a pod. So when a pod gets created, the ephemeral volume gets created. When a pod gets deleted, that volume gets deleted. And the ephemeral volume, uh, it sticks with whatever pod um, it's supposed to be with. Ephemeral volumes are really good for storing read-only data. And that kind of data is uh, stuff like secrets. So if you have API tokens that your application needs or usernames and passwords to connect with a database or those sort of credentials that need to be secret and only need to be read by uh, your container, ephemeral volumes are really good for that particular use case. So ephemeral volumes came out of SIG CSI, the Container Storage Interface uh, Working Group, uh, where they're working on building out the ecosystem of storage plugins for Kubernetes. And uh, it became uh, widely available, general availability, the ephemeral volumes in Kubernetes version 119. So if you're following along with this, uh, this demo that I'm going to do, you want to make sure that you're running at least Kubernetes version 119 or uh, greater. So there are two different kinds of ephemeral volumes. Uh, the first one is the CSI ephemeral volume. And the second one is the generic ephemeral volume. And they're very similar, but uh, if you look at those red Xs, there's a, a couple of things that make them different. So let's just go through this list. So both the CSI ephemeral volumes and generic ephemeral volumes, they follow the pod life cycle. So like I mentioned before, they get created and destroyed with pods. The next thing that they both have is you can create those ephemeral volumes through an inline definition. And I love this part. So in your pod spec or in your deployment manifest, you can specify that you want an ephemeral volume to be created when that pod is being created. Um, and it's nice because you don't have to have anything separate like a persistent volume or a persistent volume claim. Uh, here's where we're getting into the differences. So CSI ephemeral volumes, you cannot specify what kind of storage class uh, Kubernetes is going to use for that volume. Uh, I think the driver handles that. But if you're using generic ephemeral volumes, you can specify the storage class. And then finally, um, uh, the CSI ephemeral volume, it uses a third-party driver, uh, and then the generic ephemeral volumes don't. So uh, that's a lot of, a lot of theory. Uh, if uh, you're not quite sure what all that means, no problem. The thing that you need to know about ephemeral volumes is that they get spun up and down with pods and you can define them inside a YAML manifest. So those are the ephemeral volume types. That's the only key term that I want you to know uh, is ephemeral volumes. And I'm gonna be showing you how to use uh, the secret store CSI driver uh, with HashiCorp Vault. Um, so we're gonna hop into that right now. So we'll get into the demo. I will minimize this. And uh, Bart has shared uh, this uh, repo that I've put together. And so we'll just kind of do a quick uh, look at what's located in this repo and then we'll start on the demo. So uh, this is my personal GitHub. Uh, this is just a little introduction. It's like the text from the meetup uh, advertisement. And then I have resources here. 
there are slides. So the slides that I just showed get rendered uh, through Markdown and then there's the license. But the thing that you really want is the tutorial. So this is the step-by-step -step instructions of what I'm about to do. And if you're curious, we're going to be running some commands and creating some Kubernetes resources from these YAML manifests. We'll have to dig into these a little bit, but these are here. Uh-oh, something's wrong there. Uh, that's okay. We'll figure it out as we go. So time to do the demo. I'm really excited. So go to the tutorial. Beautiful. And the first thing that we need to do is to make sure that you have a Kubernetes cluster up and running. So I created this Kubernetes cluster using DigitalOcean and it's called a data on Kubernetes talk. And I need to get the kubeconfig downloaded on my machine so I can use kube control to interact with this cluster. Uh, this is a nice command. Doctal is the DigitalOcean command line tool. So beautiful. And I just want to make sure I can actually connect to the cluster. I'm gonna say kube control get nodes. Excellent. So I have a cluster that's running three worker nodes. Uh, I'm using Kubernetes version 122.8, and you can see I spun this cluster up about 25 minutes ago. So we are good to go there. Uh, next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to create a namespace where I'm going to have all of these things installed, and I'm going to call that namespace demo. So um, I'm actually going to bump up the size of this real fast, and we'll say, okay, I want to create cube control, create namespace demo. And I just want to verify that was created. So cube control get namespaces. All right, so I have this demo namespace. That's where I'm going to install Vault. That's where I'm going to install the CSI driver. That's where I'm going to uh, deploy the application that's going to get secrets from those things. So we're ready to go there. We've got some nice namespace isolation for this particular demo. All right, back to the tutorial. All right, so step one is prepare your cluster. I did that. Uh, I can connect to my cluster. I have a namespace called demo. And then the second thing that we're going to do is we're going to set up HashiCorp Vault. So um, HashiCorp Vault is a really popular project. It's an external secrets store. So it's this software that runs on its own um, where you can store secrets and then gather the secrets from all sorts of different places. You can use Vault to get secrets into Kubernetes, but you can also use Vault uh, with all sorts of other different kinds of platforms and programs. So what I'm going to show you now is I'm going to install uh, this Vault instance inside the Kubernetes cluster that I've got up and running. I'm going to be doing it in dev mode. And uh, as a note, this is something you shouldn't do for production. Um, you can run HashiCorp Vault externally and then connect it with your Kubernetes cluster. Um, that's like the best thing to do. During the demo, you're going to see me do things like uh, accessing the Vault, uh, manipulating data in the Vault, and you can actually like see the passwords and the tokens. And so if somebody gets access to your Kubernetes cluster and they have the right credentials and your vault is in there, like your secrets aren't very secret. So uh, I'm running vault in the Kubernetes cluster in developer mode for demonstration purposes only. So keep that in mind uh, if you are thinking about doing this in production. Real quick question. So, Sorry, go can, for it, um, We got a question from, uh, from Sergey. Can ephemeral volumes be associated with namespaces and their life cycle? Oh, that's so interesting. Um, I don't think so. I think they are only affiliated with pods and the pod life cycle. And so, yeah, the ephemeral volume gets spun up and down. Um, if you wanted to, you, you, oh, I, I think I see what you're asking. Like, is it, could it be like a persistent volume for a namespace or something like that? So, uh, the answer is no. Um, it's related to the pod. Awesome. Thank you. Cool. All right, so I gave the disclaimer about HashiCorp Vault and how I'm running it in this talk, and let's get started and set it up. So I'm using Helm to install and manage uh, HashiCorp Vault. So the first thing that I need to do is I need to add the HashiCorp Helm repo to my local Helm repos on my computer. And I'm pretty sure I already have this installed because I've been prepping this talk, but let's make sure. So I'm running Helm repo add HashiCorp, and then I'm uh, giving the URL of uh, the HashiCorp Helm chart. So it says HashiCorp already exists. Now I wanna make sure that I have the most updated version of that repo. So I'm gonna say Helm repo update. HashiCore. All right, looks good. And then 
here we are. We're going to install a dev server instance of HashiCore Vault inside the demo namespace. So um, a note here, like I just mentioned, if you're interested in running Vault externally, HashiCore has a great guide about how to do that. So um, I would click here if that's something you're interested in doing. Um, so let's look through this though. Uh, I'm going to install the Vault inside my Kubernetes cluster internally. And so I'm saying Helm install Vault in the namespace demo. And then I'm, I'm enabling these three different options. So the first thing I'm saying is I want this to be in development mode. So that's server dev enabled true. And then I don't want the secrets injector enabled because we're not using that particular feature. And then I do want to enable um, the CSI and ephemeral volumes um, so that HashiCore Vault can uh, talk with the ephemeral volumes that we're gonna spin up with our pods. So making sure all of those things are set. So I'm just gonna copy this command and we're gonna run it here. And we'll give that just a moment. Great, so we've got this message from Helm. It says, hey, I created this Helm release called Vault. It's in your demo namespace. And then HashiCore leaves us a nice message like, hey, here are the Vault docs if you wanna check them out. Um, so uh, let's just see what got created with that. So if we say cube control, get pods, namespace, demo. All right, so we see four different pods are running. We have this pod called vault zero. That's the actual vault server running. And then we have this vault CSI provider and we've got three different uh, replicas of it. So those are created by a daemon set. Uh, and so just making sure that we can use uh, the CSI driver with our vault instance. So looks like we're good to go on the installation there. And so the next two steps that we're gonna do, we're going to store a credential inside of the vault instance. And then we're gonna set up the vault instance to be able to interact with our Kubernetes cluster and talk with the pods that we're gonna create. So let's go on to step three. So store a credential using vaults key value storage. So the first thing that I'm gonna do is I'm going to exec into that vault pod. So uh, saying cube control exec into that pod, the namespace is demo. You want an interactive terminal that's dash IT and then you want to have access to the shell. So excellent. So you see the command prompt changed. So I'm actually inside that vault pod and I have access to that. So if we just like, look around, these are all the directories inside the pod, and then uh, it comes with this uh, vault executable ready to go. So uh, you can see all the different commands that you can uh, use with the vault. I also like this other command section, which are maybe uh, less used commands, but still important. And so what we're gonna do is we want to store a key value pair in um, the KV engine inside of this server. So. Let's clear this out and let's see how you do that. All right, so in this demo, I am storing an API token uh, and then I'm going to deploy an application that's going to need access to that API token to do something important in order for the application to be up and running in the way that I want. And so the first place that we're gonna store that secret information is inside vault. Um, and so this is the command I'm gonna run. I'm saying vault and then KV for the key value uh, engine. And I'm going to put this secret token and then I'm actually giving it the, uh, the key and the value. So the key is token and the value is this string here. So this particular path secret token is important. And so just keep that in mind. We'll see it in just a minute, um, but let's, uh, let's run that. Let's put this token inside of the vault key value engine. Okay, so we've got key value gives us a timestamp. If there's any metadata, I don't have any. When was it deleted? Has it been destroyed? And has it been updated? Um, so that was just my first uh, instance of the key value pair and then if you want to see that data in vault, you say vault key value get secret token. And so let's take a look at that. All right, so we get the same metadata that we just saw, but now we actually see the data. And so this is a great example of why you don't want to want run uh, vault in your Kubernetes cluster. Like someone can just exec into it uh, and, and see the data. So uh, keep that in mind. All right, so back to the tutorial. So. What we just did was we stored a credential using vaults key value storage. Um, 
And so uh, let's go on to the next part and then we'll do a little review of, of what we've done with Vault. So the next thing that we're gonna do is we're going to uh, make sure that Vault can access and do things inside of the Kubernetes cluster because we want that uh, API token credential to be shared with a pod eventually, but we have to do some setup there. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to enable Kubernetes auth inside of Vault. And so it's Vault auth enable Kubernetes. So I'm still in the Vault pod here. So Vault auth enable Kubernetes. All right, it says success enabled Kubernetes auth method at the Kubernetes path. All right. And uh, now we get into some more complicated things. So what this next command is gonna do is it's going to set up uh, the proper configuration for Vault to authenticate in the Kubernetes cluster. And so the way that we do that is we create uh, a file in this path auth Kubernetes config, and then we're pointing to all these things. So the issuer we're saying, uh, the, the cluster that we're in is going to be the certificate issuer. Uh, there's a token for access that Kubernetes created that we're gonna grab. Uh, the Kubernetes hosts the address, and then pointing to where the certificate authority cert is inside the Kubernetes cluster. So I'm gonna grab that command, paste it in here. It says success data written off Kubernetes config. All right. And then the next thing that we're gonna do now that we've got Kubernetes authentication set up in the vault server is that we're gonna create a policy and we're gonna call it app permissions. And it's gonna allow the secret store CSI driver to read the mounts in the secret itself. And so there's that transfer of data here. And so we're just saying, hey, I'm creating a policy. It's called app permissions. Uh, that policy has access to that path where my token data is stored. And the only thing I want it to be able to do is read. There's no uh, like edit, write, or destroy permissions here. So we just want it to be able to read the data. So clear this. Excellent. So it says uploaded policy. We have this new policy called app permissions. All right, next part. We're creating an authentication role called database that's going to bind that policy that we just created saying, hey, um, whoever has this policy is able to read that token data. Um, and so we're gonna connect that policy with a service account in Kubernetes that we're gonna call the app SA or the app service account. And so you see, we're writing a role here. Uh, it's called database. And we're saying, hey, the service account you're gonna be linked to is called app SA. And this is all gonna happen in the demo namespace. The policy that you've got is app permissions and the TTL is looks like 20 minutes. So we'll copy this. All right, looks like we've got that role up and running. And so we've like configured our vault instance. So I'm going to exit out of that pod. Beautiful. And then let's just do a quick review. That's a ton of stuff. Um, so uh, what have we done? We have uh, created a cluster. We've connected to the cluster. We installed HashiCore Vault, and we have a vault server running inside the cluster, inside our demo namespace. We did that with Helm. And then we actually got into the vault server and we stored that API token uh, inside uh, the vault. And then we set up vault so it has uh, the permissions it needs and all the access and the configuration to be able to communicate and work inside the Kubernetes cluster. Um, and then we exited out. So I'll pause there and see, are there any, uh, any questions, Bart? <laughs> Sorry, uh, looks like looks like we're pretty good. Um, right. Yeah, looks like we're good. Cool. All right, so we've got Vault set up inside our Kubernetes cluster. And the next thing that we're gonna do is we're going to set up the uh, secret store CSI driver. So let's actually look at that, um, that set of docs. So, all right, so in the resources, so this is the official secret store CSI driver docs. Um, this project is part of the CSI SIG. 
Um, and so it gives us lots of information here. Um, they're really good docs. I use them to prepare this talk, um, but uh, yeah, it looks like here. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get started. So um, actually before I, before I get started, so one thing I wanna point out is uh, if you're going to use the secret store CSI driver and you want to create ephemeral volumes with a pod, um, you have choices about the external secret store that you use. So in this demo, I'm using the Vault provider. Vault's an open source project. It's through HashiCore and DigitalOcean doesn't have uh, like a secrets management product like other bigger clouds do. So um, if Vault isn't right for you or you're running your cluster on these other clouds, then I would check out these providers. So there's an AWS provider, there's an Azure provider, and there's a GCP provider. So like if we look at that, it's going to take us beautiful to uh, another project that AWS hosts um, that allows their secrets storage product to interact with the CSI driver. Um, so instead of Vault, that's what you would be setting up. And then just so you can see the vault provider has its own documentation uh, here. Um, yeah, and it's it's good. You can see some of the commands that we've already run. So just to note there, there's, there's choices for uh, the external secret provider. All right, so uh, let's do this. Uh, so the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna install the secret store CSI driver. Uh, using Helm, we're gonna add the secret store CSI driver repo to our local Helm repos. Once again, I think I already have this installed. Yep, looks like it's good. And then we're gonna update that repo. So Helm repo update secret store CSI driver, make sure we have the most updated version of the software. Cool. And then we're going to create a Helm release in our Kubernetes cluster so that the CSI driver is running. So we're going to be running this Helm installation command. And so we're just saying, hey, I want you to create a release called CSI secret store. You're grabbing it from the secret store CSI driver repo and then the secret store CSI driver Helm chart. We're doing this in the namespace demo. And then this next flag is really important. I'm saying I want secret sync to be enabled. And so the very last thing that we're gonna do in the tutorial is we're going to get the API token that we stored in Vault. Uh, we're gonna store it as a Kubernetes secret, and then our application will be able to get that, uh, that data from the Kubernetes secret. And so you have to have secret sync enabled uh, in order to do that. So I'm gonna grab this command, I'm gonna create that Helm release. And it takes a little while. Excellent. So we get this message from Helm. That release was deployed. Uh, give us some information about how to check that the deployment worked. So uh, let's look at the pods in the demo namespace. All right, so we've got three new pods. It makes me think it's controlled by a daemon set as well, but uh, it looks like on every node, we have this set of pods running um, to enable that's that third-party driver so that we can have those ephemeral volumes uh, uh, connected to our pods. And then we can also talk with HashiCorp Vault. Um, so looks like we are good to go there. All right, so we installed the secrets store CSI driver. And now we're getting into like the application part of it. Uh, we're going to create some Kubernetes objects so that an application can use the CSI driver and create that ephemeral volume that stores the API token secret. So the CSI driver uh, creates a custom resource that's called a secret provider class. And so let's take a look at that in our, I'm gonna do it in here. So in the manifest directory, there's a secret provider class um, YAML file. And you can see I messed up here and I deleted some stuff and then pushed it up to the repo. So let me uh, command Z a little bit here. Perfect, okay. <laughs> so we're gonna uncomment those things out later. I'll fix that repo uh, after the talk. But um, here is our custom resource. It's called a secret provider class. And if you see in the spec here, uh, you get to specify which provider you're using. So that list of providers that we saw, I'm using Vault. If you were using the AWS provider or the Azure provider or the GCP provider, this is where you would specify it and then put in the relevant parameters. 
And so I'm using Vault, and my Vault address is uh, inside the demo namespace. It's called Vault, and uh, it's using port 8200. And then we see the role name. So that's from uh, HashiCorp Vault, where we created that Kubernetes role and then applied the policy and then connected the policy with a service account. And then oh, here sorry, we sorry, Kim, we got another question. Oh, yeah, go for um, it. So what is the best practice to install HashiCorp Vault, like inside Kate's, outside Kate's clusters? Hmm. That's a good question. I would say outside uh, Kate's cluster, I would run it externally, like on a virtual machine that's not part of your Kubernetes cluster. Um, that way you just have like that big separation of concerns that uh, if somebody had access to your Kubernetes cluster, they wouldn't be able to exec into the vault pod and like get your, your data. So I would definitely recommend running vault externally. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so yeah, uh, this is the, the custom resource, the secret provider class um, that the CSI driver uh, installed inside our Kubernetes cluster. And so we need to actually create this. So uh, just to prove that I'm creating something, let's see, do we have any secret provider classes in our demo namespace? So if I say kubectl get secret provider class in the namespace demo, says, I don't have any of those in the demo namespace. So let's uh, let's fix that, let's create one. So we're gonna say kubectl apply the file, it's in the manifest directory and it's called secretproviderclass.yaml. Excellent, so it says, I created a secret provider class called vault database and let's see if we've got that. All right, so you see that secret provider class was created in that namespace, uh, it's, it's running now so, uh, so that uh, the namespace is aware of Vault. Um, all right, the next Kubernetes resource that we need to create is a service account. Um, and so let's look, we've got a YAML manifest for that. Uh, very simple. So we're just creating a service account uh, that's called app SA, app service account in the demo namespace. And we need that for Vault uh, to be configured properly. So let's create that. We'll say kubectl apply the file in the manifest direct directory called service account. Excellent. And then if we say kubectl get service accounts from the namespace demo, see we've got some other service accounts in there, but I just created this one. And then the last thing that I want to do is I actually want to create a pod that's running an application. And so we're going to create a deployment uh, that mounts a CSI ephemeral volume to your pod. So this is where those ephemeral volumes come into play, where when I spin up the pod, the ephemeral volume gets created with the pod. When the pod gets uh, terminated or destroyed, the ephemeral volume uh, goes with it. So let's take a look at this deployment YAML. All right. So first thing is, uh, this is actually a pod, not a deployment. I'm hoping to change this later on, but uh, if you have like a real keen eye for detail, I know. <laughs> so it's not a deployment, it's, it's a single pod uh, and I will change this to a deployment eventually. So, um, all right, so this is our pod spec. Uh, we are going to create a container in this pod using the BusyBox image. And we're just gonna make sure that BusyBox is always spinning. Uh, we wanna be able to exec into this container so we can uh, see if we can find the secret. Uh, set some uh, resource requests and limits. And then uh, here are, here's how we're specifying the uh, ephemeral volume. So we have this volume mount. And so we're saying, hey, I want access to the vault database, that secret provider class thing. Uh, and uh, it's going to be mounted at this path, uh, mount secret store. And it's read only. I don't want you to be able to write anything to that. And then the volumes, uh, we're going to create a volume called vault database. And we're using the CSI driver. Uh, the secret store is the CSI driver we're using read only, and then uh, where are we getting the secrets from? From this vault database. So let's uh, create this pod and then we'll look in the pod and see what we can find. So keep control, create file uh, manifest, and then I called it deployment, even though it's a pod. Awesome. So if we get pods from the demo namespace, all right, we have BusyBox up and running. 
looking good. Let's just describe this pod and, and see what evidence we can find of uh, the ephemeral volume. So cube control, actually, let me clear out the terminal real fast. Uh, cube control, describe the pod busy box in the namespace demo. All right. Okay, cool. So a few things here. This looks a lot like the, the manifest, but it's got some additional information like what node this pod lives on and the timestamp and its IP address. Um, but this looks familiar to me, the image, the busy box container, the command. Um, and then if we look down here, we see uh, where the vault database gets mounted. So that mount secret store. Uh, as well as where the service account information is stored uh, in the file system. And then uh, this is my favorite part under volumes. Uh, we've got this CSI ephemeral volume running called vault database. Uh, so remember there are two types of ephemeral volumes. There's the generic ephemeral volumes and the secret or the, not the secret, the CSI ephemeral volumes. And so uh, we're getting told, hey, this is a CSI ephemeral volume. If we're using generic volumes, I assume it would say generic. Uh, the driver, uh, and then some information about it. Um, so that's pretty cool. So we've got this ephemeral volume up and running. Uh, but the whole point of this exercise is that we want to get the secret stored in Vault and have it available to the application. And so uh, let's see how we do that. So we just set up uh, the CSI driver, we just uh, created a secret class provider, a service account, and then an actual pod that's running the application. And the last th part, the best part is that we want to be able to sync that data from Vault, so the API token. We wanna store it as a Kubernetes secret. And then we want our application to be able to access the data, the API token through the Kubernetes secret. And so um, let's, look at what we've got so far in our namespace. So just to, for demonstration purposes, so let's see what secrets currently exist in the demo namespace. All right, so we've got several secrets. They look like, okay, some are generated by Helm. It looks like the CSI provider token, a lot of tokens here. Um, I want to create a secret that my application can read. So we're going to create a secret uh, in just a moment. So first thing that we want to do is we have to add some information to the secret provider class, and it's called uh, secret objects. So we go back to the secrets provider class, and uh, this is the block that you need. And so I'm going to uncomment this out. And so what I'm saying is, hey, I want you to create a secret called KV secret dash one. And so when I run this command after I apply this, I want to be able to see that secret in the demo namespace. And then you specify the secret type. We're gonna say this one's just opaque. And then you're saying, hey, uh, you're gonna get uh, something called token and the key is token. And so then the secret will store the value, that string of, of letters and numbers. So uh, first thing I needed to do in order to sync my vault data as a Kubernetes secret was to add the secret objects block in the secret provider class. So let's uh, update the secret provider class. So kube control apply uh, manifest secret provider class. We should get a, a message that, yep, it looks like that was updated. Okay, cool. So we have the secret objects there. Oh, and do I have a secret yet? Cube control gets secrets namespace demo. So that secret's called KV vault dash one. It's not here. So we got some other things to do. So uh, the next thing I need to do is I need to configure my container uh, to be able to get a secret as an environment variable. And so if I go to the deployment manifest, which is here. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to uncomment out these lines. And so what I want is I want my container to have a 
uh, an environment variable called API token. And it's going to get the value of, uh, it's going to store the value of that by going to the KV secret dash one, and then grab the value from the token. And so uh, just to prove that this doesn't exist yet, let's exec into that busy box pod. Um, so that's my application. So cube control, get pods, namespace demo. Okay. So I want to cube control exec IT into the busy box pod in the namespace demo. All right. And I'm looking for API token as an environment variable. So if I say echo API token, it's like, we don't have anything stored for that. Cool, that's all right. So we're gonna try and make that environment variable. Um, so uh, I don't need to update the service account. So I'm not gonna worry about that. So uh, this is where uh, I would rather have a deployment than a pod. So I'm gonna apply uh, the uh, deployment YAML spec, but I'm gonna get an error, um, but we'll fix that, no problem. Yep, so it's saying, hey, I can't update the pod in the way that you want. Uh, that's why deployments are better than pods. So I'm going to delete the busy box pod and then reapply the, the uh, manifest. And we wait. Almost there. All right, so the pod's still terminating. All right, there we go. So I'm gonna recreate the pod. I added the environment variable. And so I just created the pod. Before that, there was no secret. Let's see if the secret was created. So cube control gets secrets from the demo namespace. Hey, look at that. So when I created the pod, uh, the ephemeral volume was spun up and then we have secret sync enabled. And so when the pod gets spun up, um, we get that secret uh, created. And so when the pod is terminated, uh, the secret goes with it, which I think is really cool. Uh, so it's like ephemeral volumes creating like kind of ephemeral secrets in that they follow the pod lifecycle. So I have the secret now, and now I wanna know, hey, does my application have access to the API token? So let's exec back into the pod. And uh, if we echo API token, Hey, there's the value. All right. So yay, I mean, that's exciting. Uh, we, we did this complicated thing. Uh, and now our application has uh, access to a secret that was stored in Vault. And so some of the benefits of, uh, so instead of like coding that secret by hand, um, so if you're doing that, you might have to use something like secret store or SOPs where you encrypt a secret and then you maybe push it to Git and you have to have like a key management service on the other end. Um, the nice thing about using something like Vault is that that secret can get updated through Vault and then all of those changes will flow down um, and you'll be able to get the updated secret um, that way. So one of the benefits of Vault. So let's, uh, excellent. So let's, let's go back, it says exit out of the busy box pod and then pat yourself on the back, you're done. Oh, did I just exit out of my terminal? I guess that's okay. All right, so that is the tutorial. Let's do a quick review of what we did and then we'll do some Q&A and then uh, we can be done. So, um, so this is data on Kubernetes, uh, the community. And I wanted to, uh, you know, explore some something in Kubernetes that used volumes uh, that I hadn't before. And so I selected this, uh, Kubernetes secrets store CSI driver. And so uh, let's let's get the slide deck back up. All right, so uh, what we talked about was uh, this idea of ephemeral volumes, which is relatively new in Kubernetes. Uh, these are volumes that match the life cycle of a pod that get mounted onto a pod and get destroyed with a pod. Uh, they have benefits for uh, if you just want to get read-only data, they're great for that. Uh, and they're not persistent volumes or, and you don't need to do a PBC. Uh, you can just specify the ephemeral volume inside your pod or deployment spec. 
So there are two different kinds of ephemeral volumes. There's the CSI ephemeral volume, which we showed off today, and then the generic ephemeral volumes. Um, you would want to use generic ephemeral volumes if you wanted to specify uh, the storage class. And uh, you would not want to use generic ephemeral volumes if you wanted to use a third party driver. That's what CSI ephemeral volumes are for. So we went through step-by-step step how to use HashiCorp Vault where you can store secret credentials and then setting up the Kubernetes secret store CSI driver so that it can connect with HashiCorp Vault and then stores the secrets in those ephemeral volumes. And then the last thing we did was we synced that data with an actual Kubernetes secret um, and then set up our application so it could access that data through an environment variable. So we did the demo and now it's time for some Q&A if there are any questions. Good. Well, first and foremost, thank you. This was fantastic. And yeah. very much, very much shows that you, uh, you are a seasoned veteran as a teacher. <laughs> thank um, you. What I would like to ask is something that you actually mentioned in the beginning is that you were talking about how, you know, four years ago when you started on your Kubernetes journey about how, you know, like the notion of running stateful workflows is like, whoa, you know, this is, you just don't do that, do everything statelessly. And this has been a recurring theme, obviously, in our community that's focused on stateful workloads. And people talk about, you know, things that have come along the way that have made it easier and you and you touched on some of them going forward and not to be you know predicting the future but based on based on what we see happening right now you know the vast majority of organizations that we interviewed in our survey over 90 percent said that they think that kubernetes is ready for stateful workloads what is it you think that might be preventing more organizations from doing it despite the fact that they openly admit that they do think it's ready Oh, that's such a good question. So you're asking like, even though like we sort of see that people believe Kubernetes is ready in practice, we still see organizations sort of slow to adopt um, like running data in Kubernetes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's that like um, sort of one-liner that I was taught like never run stateful workloads in Kubernetes. Like I think a lot of us took that really seriously, and like the stories we told ourselves about, you know, what can happen to your data if you do a Kubernetes upgrade and you don't do it quite right. Like, do you obliterate all of that data inside of your cluster? So um, I think yeah, I think we were sufficiently scared. Um, and so I think it's yeah, it's it's the sort of attitude, it's um, helping, it's getting folks in those organizations that are resistant to that kind of change to try out the new tools and to see how far um, like the the data on Kubernetes ecosystem has has moved. Um, and I think I know Bart and I met a few months ago to talk about the community. I think this community is really cool because it's a lot of people who are younger and who are like new, but part of this cloud native generation who don't have that particular attitude about uh, stateful workloads in Kubernetes. So I think, uh, yeah, like inviting the voices of people who are maybe newer to Kubernetes and more open to uh, running data inside of a cluster. So um, that's actually a really good point. And that's something we see because we have uh, a, a, a group of very active young folks that are in our community and they don't come in with, like you said, those sort of biases or, you know, I was always told you can do it this way. And so the sort of fresh start means that you don't have to unlearn, you know, what mm -hmm. you've learned. And once again, as, as a teacher, you can, under, you can understand this. Uh, so I think, no, that, those, are all, those are all good points. From your perspective, though, in the technical sense, when it came to starting to, you know, to run stateful workloads on Kubernetes, what are some things that you found challenging and the advice that you might be able to give, say, you know, before you get into this, or I found this to be particularly challenging, anything like that in your experience? Well, I'm, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite based on what I just said. <laughs> I have not like run any, except for what I just showed you. I have not spent time like running stateful workloads in Kubernetes. I've spun up like, uh, you know, MySQL or Mongo inside a Kubernetes cluster and played with it, but I have no production experience with that. So that's totally fine. And on top of that, yeah. I highly appreciate your honesty because a lot of people <laughs> would be like, well, you know, <laughs> it was just yesterday that I was plowing through, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years anyway, that's okay. But I guess having said that, were there things that kind of surprised you along the way or that might be, it may have been a little bit trickier than you expected, anything like that? Well, I think even like the development of the CSI SIG, like that's relatively new. Um, so I think it can be, you know, the Kubernetes, like the ecosystem and all of the tools and all of the techniques and just how fast Kubernetes moves can be really intimidating. Um, so 
Uh, I think that's a barrier for me is, is just taking some time to like focus on that particular part of Kubernetes. Um, but um, the other thing though, as I do, now that I know a little bit more about the CNCF and how Kubernetes operates as an open source project, like there's so many people working on the project. There's so many people working on ancillary projects, like, and, it, and like the platform has developed so much in the last couple of years. Like I do trust that uh, the data component parts are like moving in the right direction. So um, yeah. Okay, no, no, that works. And I, I think a lot of people would agree that the, the vastness of Kubernetes as well as the CNCF, you know, common topic is the, the, the landscape, you know, just seeing the, the mass amount of projects and starting to navigate. Yeah, that. the landscape is intimidating. <laughs> it is. The good news is, is that you don't have to know absolutely everything. I mean, nobody does. Like even, you know, Chris Anisek, uh, the CTO of the CNCF, he's like, I don't know everything. <laughs> you know, how could I? Like it's, you need, oh, yeah. to, you know, multiple lifetimes uh, to be able to, to be able to break that down. So I think that's kind of thing is, you know, start with something, uh, enjoy the process, don't be in a hurry. Um, and and use the support network of uh, really helpful people that are there as well as documentation. Um, some of the things that you were referring to uh, during the talk. So I think all those, all those points are good. Uh, yeah, can but, I, can I yes. make a plug for you? So the plug data it, on Kubernetes, <laughs> first of all, the community is really cool. You have a, a nice active Slack workspace uh, that I really appreciate. And just the amount of like content that you are shepherding into the world is really impressive. Like I think you did three talks this week. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, next week's going to be the same. <laughs> but I thank you for that. And I think that we we really have taken it to heart that precisely because of what you said, that when so many people have been told that things are done in a certain way, you know, how many times does a message need to be repeated again and again and shown in different ways? For practitioners from all over the world with different backgrounds, different use cases, different end users. And, and that's what gives the strength and credibility that's necessary to make it more comfortable for, for mm -hmm. folks in the future to be doing this. So anyway, much appreciated. Yeah. Any other, any other plugs you'd like to throw? <laughs> well, I will be at KubeCon EU and I'm coming to DOK day. So come say, Hey, I'll have t-shirts and stickers and DigitalOcean has great swag. So I would love to give you some and say, Hey, so uh, looking forward to meeting some of you in person and, and interacting with more of you virtually. <laughs> Absolutely. Also looking forward to that. Before before we finish, though, can I get you to stop sharing your screen so I can share mine? Yes. Because as is tradition in our community, uh, one of the things that makes <laughs> us unique is that while you're talking, we have a wonderful person who's behind the scenes. Um, and his name is Angel, and he's a very talented artist. Um, so oh my he, gosh! Depiction, and he caught That's very. That's so cool. <laughs> he's got he's got very quick eyes, so he caught very. I'm sure the first thing he drew was probably the bicycle, and then everything was built. Oh, that. there's a bike! Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> oh my so gosh! Anyway. This is amazing. Cool. Good. No, I'm glad you. But this is the thing: is that you know, knowledge sharing is something to be celebrated, and so we're we're really really happy to do this because. Also, sometimes these concepts aren't necessarily the most tangible, and we find that um, celebrating the talks through through art um, gives it a different sort of a different kind of flavor. So anyway, we will see each other in Spain in that's right very short period of time uh, <laughs> sooner you, than I care to know. Yeah. <laughs> you will have jet lag. I will not. But, that's right. <laughs> um, but uh, looking forward to it, Kim. This is a fantastic talk. I'm Thank I you. can't <laughs> wait to get you back on for another live stream. Um, you so bet. Got to get that in the calendar. And uh, folks, as usual, if you have a, an additional questions, jump in on Slack. Kim's uh, easily accessible there. And we will be seeing each other soon. Okay.